Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Working with the Rural Support Trust, each week I talk with farmers and industry professionals to hear their stories and expert opinions on various industry-related matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. Taking a look at the beef and lamb markets. In the South Island, space is limited at the processes, driven by areas which are normally summer safe, being in dire need of rainfall. Backlogs are developing for lighter prime and local trade cattle, but cows are moving quite easily. This is being supported by North Island processes tapping into the South Island supply. Cows are not yet coming online at the processes and aren't expected to appear in any great volume until May. This is expected to keep farm gate prices flat. Attention for many now has turned to the calf market and some positive signs are already emerging with heavier lines of traditional steers leading the charge. The North Island lamb supply is weakening. This has encouraged some lifts to the farm gate price over the last couple of weeks. Strong lamb contracts on the table this winter are fueling the lamb slaughter market by setting a benchmark for May through to June. Companies currently not offering contracts are projecting the spot market to be within reach of contract prices. Now this week on Factum Agri, I chat with North Canterbury High Country farmer Rob Stokes to get his thoughts on 10-year review and the continued pressure being placed on farmers. Let's check in with Rob now. Hi Rob, thank you for your time today and welcome back to the show. Yeah, cheers Angus. Yeah, good to catch up again. For those that may have missed the last time we spoke, please can you tell me about your farm and where you are located? Um, we farm up in the back of Oxford, uh, Lees Valley, um, place is called Rishon, um, and we're only sort of about oh, 40 k's into the high country, um, up into a big basin um, with nine other um, uh, farms up there at this stage, yeah. Mm. It's us, just sheep and beef, and... Yeah, just a pretty normal sort of backcountry station, really. How has the summer been this year? Uh, it has been real good, yeah. We put a bit of a tough spring like everyone, and uh, but we got a real good rain through the December period, and then we were, yeah, kicking things into life, and uh, even got a good lot of winter feed in and baleage and stuff. And, you know, it's been dry this last month, but... Uh, we've had a pretty good run and stock have done exceptionally well, really. Well, that's really, really good. I guess uh, you've got calf sales coming up. How are the calves looking? Yeah, the calves were slow to start, but we're pretty wrapped the way they've come through. And, uh, yeah, we'd, sales have started to kick off, and they've been reasonably firm for what the beef gets sort of schedule is at this stage. So, yeah, yeah we're hoping it can still be around that $3 for steers and yep. yeah, maybe upwards of 250 for heifers would be good. Yeah, it's great. Um, and it'll get people back in the game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, there's quite a bit happening currently around tenure review, which, of course, impacts you and many others in the high country. Tenure review is on the chopping block, and it is to be replaced with the Crown Pastoral Land Reform Bill. Do you think the intent of this bill is to drive high country farmers off the land? Yeah, you'd sort of think so, wouldn't you, the way it's been drafted? by the last minister. Um, it's not farm friendly, that's for sure. It's going to make it pretty tough for those people farming in those environments. Um, we're not that impressed with it at all. It's pretty unworkable. Many out there won't really understand what tenure review is or how it works. Are you able to explain the process and its purpose? Yeah, the best I can for myself, we're not a 
past release, but we live with um, a lot of people that are tied in past releases. Um, it's where um, the farmer can lease the, off the crown uh, a pastoral lease uh, for a, a rent, as you call it, and that's reviewed probably every 10 years, 10 to 15 years, um, and they, you know, they're answerable to uh, Lynn's, uh, the over, they oversee the Crown land blocks, and um, so, so any developments that they wish to push forward, they have to go through Lynn's to, um, and they do that every 12 months for burning, um, cultivation, and it has been working up to the stage not pretty well. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned, so a rent review is carried out on past releases every 10 years. Yeah, it can be. Some of them are up to 20 years, but yeah, mm. you can see, yeah, over 10 years, they'll be reviewed. They came up with a system years ago um, where they calculated per stock unit, and right. it was the fairest uh, way on maintaining the crown land and uh, to make it financially viable for a farmer to take on a pastoral lease. Many high country farmers have come out and said the Crown Pastoral Land Reform Bill will restrict farmers in many ways, like you've just mentioned. For example, having to apply for a consent to carry out fencing and place water troughs. Is that what you make of this bill? And that seems completely ludicrous to me. Yeah, it is. It's just overloading regulations on top of regulations. You know, we've got the RMA Act where it has covered a lot of those concerns um, so if you were to put a, you got a trough there and you wanted to replace it, you basically underneath new rules, you'll have to put a consent in to put a new trough in there. Um, it's just ludicrous, most of it, um, mm. trying to understand it. Uh, and I, I don't think it's um, workable. You know, they've got enough fresh water and biodiversity and all these other reforms coming in. Um, and this being slapped on top of them uh, is bloody unfair. Mm. What about weed control? How does the control of weeds compare to freehold country in terms of responsibility? They've, they've got the same responsibilities as the freehold person has to make sure they contain those weeds. And when you've, you're paying a rent, the Crown's getting that asset back um, that you know all the weeds are going to be controlled um, and it's not costing them a cent, which is... Um, a, real positive for the high country people carrying on farming in there that we're going to keep on controlling those weeds and it's not going to be cost to the right part. Is there a collective group that is going to bat for high country farmers currently? Yeah, Federate Farmers has um, got a policy team that's uh, put a submission in, a pretty thorough submission, um, arguing the facts all the way through from why tenure review was dropped and they never there was no discussion around the table about how that would come about when it, they sh it should have been. Um, mm. Minister Sage decided to drop it straight off and legally that's going to be challenged because uh, we need you need a lot of tools in the toolbox and that one should have been left there unless a better one was to be brought forward. What is it you would like out of the process and indeed your neighbouring properties? I think, yeah, they should. Um, there's a lot of flaws in it. And, you know, to keep those families that have been in historically farmed, you know, for over 170 years, they should be given the right to carry on farming. Um, there's enough RMA acts and rules to 
abide by um, we, and freehold people abide by them and they do too. So what, what's the problem? Um, we need farming communities in there. Um, they're just going to push them out. And um, the submissions put through, that's where we angled. And with you know another group, the High Country Accord was another um, group that's self-funded, and they have gone probably down more of the legal side. So, and we keep in contact with them all the way through, as we've got the same clientele, I suppose you call it. It's certainly a challenging time, as you say. It's just another thing to throw on top of farmers with increased regulation. Uh, as it currently stands. So it's something that we're uh, looking at pretty closely at the moment. And um, I know you're busy. I think you mentioned you're sharing today. So thank you for your time, Rob. Uh, good as God, Ings, anytime. Thank you to Rob for his thoughts. There are 171 remaining Crown pastoral lease properties covering approximately 1.2 million hectares of Crown pastoral land. Crown pastoral leases are perpetually renewable with 33-year terms. These terms give the leaseholder rights akin to ownership, i.e. in that, provided they comply with the terms of the lease, they are entitled to exclusive possession of the land in perpetuity. There are some limitations on the use or activities to which the leaseholder can do to the pastoral land, i.e. the land can only be used for pastoral farming and consent is needed to, amongst other things, disturb the soil which limits development of the land. Tenure review currently enables the Crown to negotiate with a leaseholder to give up some of their leasehold rights in return for an option for the leaseholder to purchase the freehold of some of the land. In theory, and as a result, areas of significant ecological or conservation value are returned to full Crown ownership and control, in exchange for the leaseholder gaining full legal ownership and control of the remainder of the land. From the Crown's point of view, because the leaseholder paid for their freehold land, which was set off against what the leaseholder was paid by the Crown for selling part of the pastoral lease, 10-year review didn't require the amount of government funding that would be required if the government was simply purchasing the leaseholder's interest outright. Some have come out and said, which include the Conservation Minister in early 2020, that once a farmer had the full freehold ownership of the land, the farmer was then free to do with it as they wish, which includes profiteering and the intensification of the land or selling to offshore buyers. The fact that significant areas of conservation land reverted to full crown control or public control has been grossly overlooked, I might add. More could be done to manage the expectations and outcomes for all interested parties once freehold ownership is obtained as there are some examples of land being sold once through a 10-year review process that have raised eyebrows. However, scrapping 10-year review and developing the Crown Pastoral Land Reform Bill is a step too far, and it is turning the screws further when they don't need to be. You have to ask the question, did the Conservation Minister think this through at all? Why is the Conservation Minister and the Agriculture Minister not more engaged with our farmers? And why are they not considering the further impacts this will have? In the last 12 months, we have seen changes to fresh water and biodiversity. We are seeing the implementation of farm environment plans, which is throwing up the biggest changes to farmers in a lifetime. I agree with Federated Farmers' submission on the bill to the Environment Select Committee, which lays out their concerns 
as it largely duplicates matters covered with regional and restrictive plans and national regulations issued under the Resource Management Act and other national legislation. Their submission states, it unnecessarily adds additional layers of consenting with associated increases in costs and delays on both leaseholders and the taxpayer for no greater environmental or pastoral outcomes. It significantly reduces the independence of the Commissioner for Crown Lands, taking away their autonomy and creating a largely tick box or flowchart role. It fundamentally changes the nature of the relationship between the Crown and lesser and the leaseholder. The existing contractual relationship based on trust and reciprocity would be replaced by an approach of regulation and enforcement, diminishing the future constructiveness and openness of relationships. It adopts a one-size-fits-all approach, which is completely at odds with the realities of the diversity within high country lease properties across the South Island. It reduces the certainty around future rentals for these perpetual leases. It reduces the certainty of leases and the incentivization to continue to invest and enhance environmental outcomes, given no accompanying or reciprocal ability to address changing pastoral needs as provided for. It has technical flaws that will mean control of plant and animal pest species will become more difficult and constricted, meaning obligations that exist under other regulations or covenants may be jeopardised. It is a breach of contract that has not been justified, supported or shown to be necessary. By removing the ability for the Crown to continue with tenure review processes rather than fixing issues with the process, it means opportunities for the Crown to acquire land with significant conservation, biodiversity or landscape interest for the public estate will be foregone. It appropriates the property rights of leaseholders without accompanying compensation, leaving leaseholders effectively managing conservation leases at their own cost and resources, rather than a continuation of pastoral farming leases. The Crown pastoral lease lands at the heart of this process have been leased from the government and used for grazing by farmers since the mid-19th century. Prior to 1948, there was a deterioration in the lands as leaseholders had not been provided with sufficient security of tenure to justify their continued investment in the long-term infrastructure or environmental management required. Rabbits, feral pigs, goats, deer and weed plant pests had become an issue and it was acknowledged that a long-term solution was needed. In response to these issues, the Land Act 1948 was introduced, providing leaseholders with perpetually renewable pastoral leases, exclusive occupation rights, and rights to compensation for the improvements they made to the land. This was primarily to give leaseholders a degree of certainty of tenure, and therefore more incentive to invest in the future protection of the land. The bill is poorly drafted and attempts to place significant limitations on day-to-day -day farming activities. As it stands, farmers will need to apply for consent to fence off a wetland or a waterway and then another consent to put in a new stock water trough as an example. The proposed bill is also at complete odds with the government's recent statements that farmers, growers and producers will play a critical role in New Zealand's economic recovery. So a question to the government, if farmers are so important to New Zealand's economic recovery, 
Why would you create a policy that completely contradicts that statement? Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.